This summer, the world must answer one question. Why has no one made a popsicle that gets you high yet? That's right, it's summer, and it's time for you to get your hands on America's new favorite product, Danksicles. 20 milligrams of THC in two great flavors, the latest and greatest innovation from IndiCloud. Is IndiCloud the greatest company to come out of America? Maybe. But what we do know for sure is that IndiCloud is the best way to get dispensary-grade cannabis delivered directly to your door, 100% legally. Yes, they ship legally to all states. No medical card needed. Whether it's vapes as big as your head, flowers you won't find in your mom's garden, or of course, popsicles that get you high as What are you waiting for? Go to indicloud.co slash spring24 and get discreet delivery on top shelf THC products. Head over to indicloud.co slash spring24. That's co, not com, to snag 30% off your first order. Hey everyone, I'm Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. Tonight we're taking it back to Canada to talk about a case I was shocked I'd never heard of before. On May 7th, 1992, three young men broke into a McDonald's restaurant in Sydney River, Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. The initial plan was to rob the restaurant's safe, hoping to walk away with a big payday. However, things escalated really quickly, changing the plan entirely and leaving three dead and one permanently disabled. This was a massacre that shocked Cape Breton and the rest of Canada, proving once again that greed can turn deadly in an instant. This episode is sponsored by We Love Pets at welovepets.eu.com. You may or may not know that I recently welcomed a little puppy into my family named Tora. She's a big, giant, fluffy Akita, pretty much a wolf. And while she drives me crazy with her puppy antics, I pretty much live to spoil her. And if you're anything like me with your dogs or your cats, you'll want to check out We Love Pets website. They have all of the basics that you need to care for your pet, including toys, grooming tools, cages, and beds, but they also have some of the cutest and most innovative products for those pet owners who like to take it up to the next level. I'm talking the cutest outfits, foldable swimming pools, and neat toys. Check out welovepets.eu.com and use the promo code SERIALNAPPER30 to take 30% off your order by February 22nd, 2021. That's welovepets.eu.com and use the promo code SERIALNAPPER30 to take 30% off your order by February 22nd, 2021. Now let's get into it. Before I start, I want to mention that if you want a really in-depth look at this case, make sure you check out the podcast series by Nighttime Podcast. It is really, really, really good, and it goes into great detail about the case and how it was solved. I'll have the link in my show notes to make it easy for you to check out. Now, the date, it's May 7th, 1992, in Sydney River, which is in the Cape Breton Prefecture of Nova Scotia. This is a small community with about 3,000 residents in 2001, but it's grown in recent years with new business development. In 1992, it was a very quiet, rural area with not a whole lot happening. The economy at the time was in decline. 
Traditional industries like steel and coal mining were being phased out, and it was slowly turning into a ghost town. Yet, there was still this strong sense of community and a hope for the future that things might get better. Now, just after midnight, the night crew at the local McDonald's begins their routine to close up for the evening. Donna Warren, who's 22 years old, was working in the small back office, counting the cash and locking the money away in the safe. Neil Burrows, 29 years old, was cleaning the kitchen and prepping everything to be ready to open in the morning. Arlene McNeil, who was 20 years old, was done her shift, but she was waiting for Donna to finish in the back so that they could drive home together. Jimmy Fagan, 27 years old, was on his way to work early to begin preparations for the next day's opening. He was going to be working the overnight shift. All four had no idea what three local young adults had planned to do that evening. The three culprits I'm referring to were Derek Wood, 18 years old, Darren Muse, 18 years old, and Freeman McNeil, 23 years old. They had spent the last several months hashing out a plan to rob the local McDonald's, believing that they could make away with $200,000 in cash from the safe. Derek was described as the ringleader of this plan, and he was said to be a very quiet guy, socially awkward. He mostly kept to himself. He wasn't overly involved at school or anything like that, or the community. He had been involved in some small petty crimes in the past, but this would be his first big robbery. Derek had started a job at McDonald's back in March of that year, which made it the perfect opportunity because he could learn the ins and outs, the floor plans, the cash flow, who might be working and what time they'd be out of there. One of the things that he learned was that there was a door in the basement of the restaurant that was hardly ever used. So he figured that this would be the perfect way to enter the restaurant undetected. The other two men involved in this plan were Darren Muse and Freeman McNeil, and they were completely on board with this. Darren and Freeman were described as complete opposites of Derek. They were both very popular back in high school. They were very social and described as conventionally good-looking. Now, after high school, their glory days were pretty much over. Ain't that the hard truth when you're super popular and such a big deal in high school and then, hey, the real world hits ya? They weren't really doing anything productive with their lives at the time. And when these three individuals met, it turned out to be the perfect storm. Maybe individually this may have never happened, but with the three of them now hanging out together, bored, broke, and maybe looking for a little notoriety, they figured this plan could fix it all. So now it's the day of the robbery. It's earlier in the day, so it's May 6th. After Derek's shift, he propped open that back door so that the trio could enter later that evening. Now, these doors are typically alarmed, especially today, but back in 1992, they weren't. It was a different time, and there wasn't really any need to alarm them. Derek then stayed after his shift, and he sat in the main part of the restaurant smoking a cigarette, which wasn't technically allowed, of course, but the night manager working, Donna, she allowed it since it was after hours and the restaurant was closed. So Derek sat there at the table with a co-worker, Arlene, who was waiting to drive home with Donna. Arlene and Derek, they sat there making preparations for a child's birthday party that was supposed to happen the next day. 
Now, Donna, she was in the back office. She's the night manager. And she was counting the cash and preparing the float for the following day. And then there was Neil, who was in the back kitchen, cleaning, doing light maintenance. At one point in the evening, Derek gets up and leaves. I mean, it's after his shift. So everyone just believes that he's finally gone home. Meanwhile, Freeman and Darren, the other two soon-to-be robbers, met up for their final preparations. They dressed in multiple layers of clothing so that they could easily change out of whatever they were wearing at the robbery and get away from the scene in a new set of clothes. Clothes that wouldn't be identified. The two drove to the McDonald's with a gun in tow. It was Freeman McNeil's gun, and he had been practicing with it for a few weeks now. The plan was supposed to be simple. They would enter through the basement door where they would meet up with Derek, who's holding the door open for them. Freeman would go inside and stand at the door to stop any employees from leaving. Darren would guard the kitchen to make sure nobody moved, and then Derek would go to the office to rob the safe. If anyone tried to run, they planned to basically beat them unconscious. But as what usually happens with these sort of things, things did not go according to plan. The two men decided to park their car within walking distance of the McDonald's, but hidden from plain view on a nearby dirt road. When they walked up to the McDonald's, they entered via the basement door that had been left open and quietly snuck through the dark room, which was usually a dedicated training room and stock room. They met up with Derek who took the pistol from Freeman, and this gun, it was supposedly just going to be used to kind of spark fear into anyone so that they didn't try to fight back. Darren put on a rubber Halloween mask so as to not be recognized, and he carried with him two knives. Freeman, he had a weapon too. He brought a handle of a shovel, which he'd use to hit people if needed, and then he also brought ropes in case they needed to tie anyone up. Now, the three men are walking through this dark basement, passing by the rooms, and they soon came upon both Donna and Arlene, who were very startled to see them. Not only because these men weren't supposed to be there, but they both immediately recognized Derek, who was working there literally just right before now, and was now standing there pointing a gun at them. He didn't even bother to wear a disguise, which I don't quite understand. Clearly not the smartest tool in the shed. I don't really get it. He's the only one that anyone working there would even recognize, yet he didn't bother to wear a mask. It kind of makes you wonder, what exactly was his plan? Was it really just to get the money and get out? And what about everyone knowing who he was? None of that really seems to fit. So at first, Donna thought it was all just a joke. Like, why else would Derek be there with these two guys? Donna was prepared to give any robbers whatever they had come for. That was all a part of the protocol. But she was really puzzled why her own employee was there committing this robbery. And she was probably equally as confused as to why he didn't even try to hide his identity. It didn't make sense. And so she asked, is this supposed to be funny? Maybe it was because Derek was finally realizing that he had really fucked up, but things escalated in an instant. He shot Arlene in the head, and Arlene fell to the floor, severely wounded but still alive and breathing. 
Freeman stood over her just in case she woke up with his shovel handle and told Derek to just hurry up and get into the safe so that they could get the money and get out of there. Both Derek and Darren raced upstairs into the main part of the restaurant to get into the back office and into the safe. Then they came upon Neil Burrows, who was still working in the kitchen, cleaning sinks, and he hadn't heard any of the commotion downstairs, so he was completely unaware of what was happening and the danger that he was in. Derek walked into the kitchen, saw Neil, and shot him in the head. Neil fell to the floor, and then Darren stabbed him in the neck. Somehow, he was still alive, although he was losing a lot of blood and he was in really grave condition. Now, Neil was a large-built guy. He was a husband, a father, and he was tough. He wasn't going to go down without a fight. So they kind of just all jumped on him. Darren kept trying to stab him while Freeman hit him with a shovel handle. But it would take a second gunshot to the head to finally end his life. After they had subdued Freeman, Derek went down to the basement to get Donna because they had, I guess, forgotten her down there. And he forced Donna up the stairs to the safe and told her to open it, which she did. She was always going to. She wasn't going to stand in their way. She always planned to give them whatever they had asked for. Still, after she opened the safe, Derek shot her in the head and again in the eye, killing her pretty much instantly. Then Derek grabbed the money out of the safe, expecting it to be hundreds of thousands of dollars, but he was shocked to find the total amount of money was $2,017. They had just brutally attacked three individuals with a gun, knives, and a shovel handle, all for a little over two grand. You see, Derek was quite new to the restaurant industry. He didn't seem to understand that they didn't keep large amounts of money in the safe at all times, that any large amount of income would be deposited into the bank. So he was literally expecting to get hundreds of thousands of dollars, and he walked away with $2,017. Now, it was around the same time after opening the safe, about 1 a.m., that another employee by the name of Jimmy Fagan was arriving early for his overnight shift. It was said that he would do this quite often, arriving a little earlier than when his shift started, just because he wanted to chat with some of his co-workers. He was just a really nice, friendly, outgoing guy. He had been dropped off at the restaurant by a taxi when he saw the back door of the McDonald's propped open. So he would have normally walked in through the front door, but he saw this back door open. So he walked in the back and immediately saw Derek, who of course he recognized because the two had worked together. Before Jimmy could say a thing, Freeman McNeil shot Jimmy dead. Then the three robbers jumped over Jimmy's body and fled to their getaway car. Now, the taxi driver who had just dropped Jimmy off, literally moments earlier for his shift, heard a pop sound, which he didn't immediately identify. But then he saw two of the men fleeing, which of course was really strange, especially at this hour. So he decides to turn around and go back to the McDonald's to find out what's happening. When he walks in the back door, he sees Jimmy's body and he's terrified. So he runs back to his taxi, radios his dispatcher and tells him what he sees and asks him to call the police for help. 
Now, while the taxi driver waits for the police to arrive, he stays in his car, just circling the parking lot, not wanting to stop because he was terrified that the people who did this might still be lurking around. It was incredibly lucky that this taxi driver had the forethought to check out what was happening because one of the victims was still alive. 20-year-old Arlene McNeil, she was the first one to have been shot. She was alive, though she would not have survived if the taxi driver hadn't returned so quickly to call for help. Unfortunately, after being shot in the head, even though she did live, she would be left permanently disabled. And sadly, the three other McDonald's employees died from their injuries, including Donna Warren, Neil Burroughs, and Jimmy Fagan. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in True Accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors fresh, never-frozen meals that are also dietitian approved No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, 
I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle. And I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code NAPPER50 at factormeals.com slash NAPPER50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Now, the three robbers, they run to their getaway car. Freeman decides to ditch his shovel handle along the way. They hop into the car, they begin to drive off. When Derek remembers that he left his backpack at the McDonald's restaurant, he had used his backpack as a tool to keep that back door propped open. And that backpack had all of his stuff in it. It had his uniform, his ID, his name tag, all his stuff. So they made a plan to say that Derek was out smoking at the McDonald's restaurant after his shift when he heard the gunshots and got scared and ran off, leaving his backpack behind. So on the way home, they dropped Derek off at a convenience store, and Derek calls the police to report that he had been at McDonald's, he had heard the gunshot, and so he ran off. This was the beginning of his cover story to try to explain away the backpack being there. Police were actually busy at the crime scene, so they told Derek to go home and they would touch base with him in the morning to get his statement. I slow blinked when I heard this, but you have to remember that this is a very small community. It's a very small police force that never has to deal with things like this. And according to what Derek had said on the phone, he didn't really witness much since he said he had ran off after hearing the gunshots. So they likely figured that there wasn't really any rush, I guess. Now, Derek really wants to get his story out there, you know, on paper in a statement just to get it done. So he goes to the roadblock that's now set up leading to the McDonald's and he goes to the police officer there and tells him he's the guy that had called in earlier because he was there when it happened. At this point, police want to talk to him. So they drive him to the station and interview him. He tells his story. You know, he was smoking out back. He heard the gunshots. He ran off and he accidentally left his backpack there. Some of his story didn't really make sense to the police. Like there weren't any cigarette butts found around out back. And they had also talked to other people who said that he usually smoked inside the restaurant after his shift. So why would he be outside the restaurant? They felt like maybe he was holding back information, but they still didn't really have anything to go on. They didn't have any evidence pointing towards him or really any information leading to him as a suspect, so they couldn't push any further. Both Freeman and Darren in the following days seemed to carry on as usual. They weren't really acting any differently, which you would think someone might act different after committing such a heinous crime. But the only sort of odd thing that they did was both young men seemed to have a little bit of money now when they typically had none. 
I mean, it wasn't a whole lot of money. They only had a little over $2,000 from the robbery. But still, they usually had no money and now they just had all this cash. And the majority of the cash was in $5 bill increments. So kind of weird. As for Derek, he didn't want any of the money that they had robbed. Seriously, he didn't spend a dime of it. Maybe it's because he was in shock. He knew the people that they had just robbed and killed. Or maybe it was because he was being looked at by the police and he didn't want to take the risk. As you can imagine, the community was devastated by this tragedy. And they wanted the perpetrators to be caught swiftly. Everyone was terrified that such a brutal murder would happen in their small town. But Derek Wood was really all they had, and they only had a suspicion with no actual evidence to go on. But everything started to unravel very, very slowly, starting with when police went to interview Freeman McNeil. Now, Derek had mentioned in his police interview that Freeman was the one who had dropped him off at work for his shift that day. So they went to talk to Freeman to confirm this, and Freeman mentions that he was with Darren later that evening. So they talked to Darren, and they asked Darren to take a polygraph test, just to confirm that all of the stories are lining up and everyone's being truthful. Darren initially refused, which was a red flag for the police, but I mean, honestly, I, I don't blame him. Taking a polygraph test is not always the best idea because they're not 100%. But eventually, he was pressured into doing it, and he said yes, thinking that he would be able to beat the test because he was just that overconfident. But of course, he failed. He didn't fail on a question of, you know, whether he did the robbery, but he did fail on a question regarding if he knew who had done the robbery or if he was withholding information about the robbery. And just like that, everything started falling apart like dominoes. Because if Darren lied, then they thought maybe Freeman lied. And so they wanted to test Freeman. And then Freeman failed his test. And literally, just all of the stories began falling apart. They kept changing their story and being caught in lies and just not jiving. And it didn't take long for the police to find and arrest all three men. Derek Wood, Darren Muse and Freeman McNeil because, well, clearly they weren't all that intelligent, certainly not as smart as they thought they were. The investigators started off with hardly any evidence to point them in any direction of a suspect, and now they had these three guys all falling apart on their lies and finally confessing to what they did, although there are still some discrepancies on who did what, you know, who pulled the gun when, who stabbed who, who brought the gun, all that. Derek Wood was the first to go to trial. He was found guilty of the attempted murder of Arlene McNeil and the first-degree murders of Donna Warren and Neil Burroughs, as well as robbery and unlawful confinement. He was given a life sentence with no chance of parole for 25 years. Darren Muse stood trial next. He pleaded guilty to the second-degree murder of Neil Burroughs and to the robbery. Other charges he had faced were dismissed as part of a plea bargain he made with the prosecutors. He was convicted and given a life sentence with no parole for 20 years. Finally was Freeman McNeil. He was convicted of first-degree murder of Neil Burroughs and the second-degree murder of Jimmy Fagan. He was given a life sentence with no parole for 25 years. So where are they now? Well, 
Derek Wood remains in prison for the crimes that he committed. He applied for parole in 2015, but the Parole Board of Canada denied his request. Darren Muse was granted full parole in 2012. He was released from prison, but prohibited from ever going to Sydney, Nova Scotia and surrounding communities, including Sydney River. He eventually moved to British Columbia, where he's now living a new life with his girlfriend. Just like that. Freeman McNeil, he's still in prison, but in 2019, he was granted unescorted absences from prison once a month for quote-unquote personal development. The objective of the absences is for Freeman to familiarize himself with the area where he'll be staying on day parole. The decision also notes that Freeman has acknowledged his criminal behavior and he has matured since he committed the crimes, although he maintains he didn't know that one of the other offenders was carrying a firearm until the robbery was underway. But let's not forget that Freeman was also the one to shoot Jimmy Faggins. So... Arlene McNeil, the only survivor of the McDonald's robbery, she survived the attack, but she was left with permanent damage to her brain and body. She lived for many years at a home in Bridgewater for people with acquired brain injuries. In her wheelchair, she attended some of the proceedings when the accused were on trial. Unfortunately and very sadly, she died in August of 2018 at the age of 46. So she was very young. Even though she survived the murders, she lived a very hard, difficult life, not one of quality. The McDonald's in Sydney River reopened a week after the murders and continued to operate for eight years before the owner closed it and tore it down, which is probably for the best because I have no idea who would ever want to work there or eat there after what happened, just being in there and knowing what happened there, like, I'm surprised it was able to stay open for eight years. Today, it's just an empty parking lot and a grassy field. None of the three murderers has ever explained their actions, why they did it. We know why they robbed the McDonald's. It was obviously for money, but why did they have to brutally murder the employees who worked there? They stated that wasn't the initial plan, so why and when did that change? Or was that always the plan, at least for Derek Wood, who never made any attempt to disguise himself? Obviously, he would have known after committing this robbery and being exposed to people he knew, they would be able to say exactly who committed the robbery. So was he always planning to take out the witnesses? I don't know. You decide. And let me know. Seriously, I want to hear what you think. So let me know if you think this was always planned, if this was a robbery gone wrong, and any sort of thoughts that you have about the, the Canadian criminal justice system, which can sometimes be mm, very lacking, we'll say. That's it for tonight. I would like to once again thank my sponsor. Make sure you check out welovepets.eu.com and use the promo code SERIALNAPPER30 to take 30% off your order by February 22nd, 2021. That's welovepets.eu.com and use the promo code SERIALNAPPER30 to take 30% off your order by February 22nd, 2021. As for me, if you want to reach out, 
You can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper, all one word. And if you are watching me on YouTube, make sure you give me a like and a subscribe. Until next time, don't be a Dahmer. Bye.